We get it. Running is hard. Going for a run can be one of the most physical and mental challenges you will embark on if you never ran. In this episode, we cater to the needs of our first-time runners. How often should you run? How far? Should I stretch? Am I ready for a marathon? All of these questions are answered in the next episode of the Fit Health Well podcast show. everyone, this is Jay Denson, and welcome to another episode of Fit Health Well, where we bring you everything that's related to health and wellness. Uh, today, I have a gentleman that I've been wanting to speak to for some time now. When I was in New York City, very, very popular uh, coach in the running community, well-known coach in the running community. And, you know, his contributions, not only within the running community, just extends outside of this as well. Um, you get a passion and you get a gauge uh, for just what he does and just his commitment to overall fitness. I've seen it not only in articles that he's been featured in, um, but I just see it in his day-to-day Instagram. He, he's someone, if I can describe it, uh, who walks the walk and talks the talk, right? So, you know, you have people out there that, that speak on a lot of things, but he is a very accomplished gentleman. Um, he is the, the co-founder of City Coach Multisport. He's also been a coach and an endurance athlete for over 25 years. If that isn't enough, he holds a master's degree in exercise physiology and has passed the current certifications from the American College of Sports Medicine, National Strength and Conditioning Association, and USA Cycling. Um, he's also coached Jackrabbit Sports since 2004 and coached for Nike from 2002 to 2014. If that's not enough, he's also an author. He's co-authored the Complete Idiot Guide to Weight Training, uh, which we will get into today as well. And he's also been featured in New York Runners Triathlete Magazine. He's also been a speaker for Nike, New York Runners Road Club, Chelsea Piers Triathlon Club. And as of last year, which I thought was really, really impressive, he was also featured in Runners World uh, with his son um, about running to school every day in an effort to help the environment. I just think that this gentleman's amazing. I am honored to have him on my program today. And with no further ado, I would like to introduce introduce Jonathan Kane, or as we know him, Coach Kane. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Awesome. How was the introduction? Did I leave anything out though? Did I get everything covered? Yeah, you know what? I mean, the only thing it's funny since that one was written. Now I'm thinking like, oh wow, no, it's actually been 30 years. It shows you how old that one. <laughs> yeah, been at this for 30 years now, and we have a new book, which I'll plug and bother you about later. But no, that's pretty much what we're doing. I mean, that's that's pretty much my entire adult life. I've been working, as, as you alluded to, working in, in fitness and you know endurance in one way or another. Absolutely, and and 
you know, I don't know how you would like to describe it, but um, at least from my perspective, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, when you dedicate 30 years of your life to, you know, the fitness, health and wellness, and more specifically the running community, um, I, I look at that as a service, right? Um, personally, um, you know, that's, it's, it's not something that everybody has to get up every day and do, um, but that is something that's commendable. And just for any of our first time listeners and people that don't know you outside of New York City, um, can you just give us some background about yourself? And then what what was your passion in terms of, of, of running and becoming a coach? Sure. And and it's funny. I mean, I, it's flattering for you to, to speak of me that way, uh, you know, as if I'm providing a service. But honestly, from my point of view, I'm looking at it as I'm really lucky to have spent 30 years doing something that I am really passionate about and something that I love. And it's not something, you know, that I chose because, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to get rich and famous because, yeah, you don't do that. But um, but if I'm looking at it going, wow, I can pay the bills and be in an environment and a setting that I like and hopefully helping some people, but overall feeling good about what I'm doing, like I consider myself very lucky in, in that respect. Um, so yeah, quick background. Um, back um, in undergrad when I was in college, I was a music major. I was a musician. I was playing clubs in the city and all that type of stuff. Um, but, and, you know, never... Unfortunately, you never quite made that next step to making a living doing that. But, but uh, you know, again, what I was lucky enough to do was to have something else that I was passionate about. And I was always sort of, I was the guy who was always in the gym, you know, not a particularly good athlete, but I was the sort of gym rat, always hanging out, you know, college. I was, if you needed to find me, I was down in the gym shooting hoops or whatever. And, um, and over the last couple of years of college, I started working in a gym and, and sort of, realizing that I enjoyed being in that environment as well. And um, right after getting my bachelor's degree, ended up sort of surprising myself, but sort of ended up in a master's program in Delphi University in exercise physiology, um, which opened up all sorts of new doors for me. So suddenly it went from being, you know, the gym was a place to hang out and have fun to like, oh, there's real science behind this. And there's a real career path um, that I can pursue. Um, and, uh, you know, I said, still be in an environment that I enjoy. And, you know, I joke about it all the time, but here I am, I'm, I'm turning 57 this week. I've never had a job where I had to go to work wearing adult clothes. Like I go to work in a t-shirt and shorts. Um, I mean, the closest thing I ever had, I was the fitness director for the police department, but even then I just, all I did was run gyms. Um, so, you know, I've been lucky in that respect. And, um, you know, and, and doing this professionally has afforded me the opportunity to, again, be in an environment that I enjoy, but also by having my own little company, um, you know, at times make my own schedule. It allows me to be, I think, a more effective parent and hopefully more effective husband in certain respects. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, basically it was just sort of a matter of following a, a path that I enjoyed and path that I was passionate about. Um, and you know, here we are 30 years later. And that's amazing. It's, it's really good to hear that, that, that background story regarding that. Um, 
as you as you ran it down to me, what I found was interesting, and the question I'm going to have for you as well as we lead this interview is, um, when you decided you educated yourself, right, and you realized there's a science behind this. So I think a, a, a lot of first time people, whether they decide to go to the gym um, or they decide to run, they just they just go, right? Like I remember the first time I, was, I got into running, I just went outside and ran. I didn't think about the science. I didn't think about breathing and things like that. Um, once you educated yourself um, in terms of of the uh, the knowledge behind it. Um, what was the first space that you can remember where you actually applied it and you and you and you started coaching? Uh, what what was the first environment that you began that was the foundation um, that led to where you are today? It was when I was, as I said, I was, you know, I worked like when I was working in gyms in undergrad, it was mostly just it was sort of very old school. Just like I said, it was, hey, guys, pick up the weights. Hey, guys, you know, put the basketball away kind of thing. It wasn't there was no science behind it. It was just, like I said, old school gym stuff. Then I started grad school, took a, j- a job at a place called Printing House Fitness down in the West Village. Um, and that was where I started to get an opportunity to apply some of what I was learning. And um, and I realized a lot of the folks that I was in school with and the people that had been in school before me, um, most of the folks who got their degree there ended up either working corporate fitness or cardiac rehab both of which are, you know, nice ways to make a living and honorable things to do, but neither one of which got me excited. But, you know, I, I always gravitated towards athletes and how can you make someone faster, stronger, whatever they're trying to do. Um, and I was lucky enough early on at Printing House, I met um, a guy by the name of Christopher Berglund, and you alluded to how I'm the, the co-founder of City Coach. So Christopher was the other co-founder and Christopher was someone I met he was running on a treadmill. I had finished my shift. I got on a life cycle for an hour, right? And again, we're going back. Um, and I'm just watching this dude on a treadmill and he's perfect. He's like straight out of my kinesiology textbook. And I watched him run for an hour. I ride for an hour. And afterwards, I just went up to him and I started talking. And I said, like, you just did an hour. I said, how fast are you going? He goes, 10. I said, those weren't 10 minute miles. You mean you're doing 10 miles per hour? You're doing six minute miles? He goes, yeah. And I said, wow, that's, that's moving. Like that's, that's a pretty good clip. Um, certainly faster than I could ever run. I go, Oh, who do you run for? He goes, Oh, nobody. I said, what's your, what's your 5k PR? He goes, what's a PR? Knew nothing about it. He just ran for the fun of it. And I, I tell the story all the time. I said to him, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to make you a star and you're going to make me look smarter than I really am. And sure enough, like we struck up a friendship and he got a little bit interested in racing, even though he'd never done this before. Um, and so he was sort of my, my sort of pet project. We became good friends and I got to bring him into a lab and do things with him and try things out on him. And so that was the first chance for me to really apply it. And I was lucky enough to have someone who was such a talented athlete, you know, who I could apply it to. Um, And Christopher went on to, he's written a couple of books. He's a a columnist now for uh, uh, Psychology Today. Um, He won a triple Ironman three times. Uh, he set the 24-hour record. Uh, Guinness, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records. He ran 153.76 miles on the treadmill in 24 hours. Um, so, you know, he and I had this really nice partnership um, as athlete and coach. But one of the things that happened was 
because he was such a tremendous athlete and was also just a really good looking guy and people gravitated to him, understandably. So they, they would flock to him and say, Christopher, what should I do? And he'd go, how the heck should I know? Ask Jonathan. So <laughs> he was sort of like, you know, we, we had this, this, we, we started this partnership where, you know, he's still, you know, he's more of a consultant. He wasn't doing the nuts and bolts coaching, but like I said, people gravitated to him and, and rightly so. Um, so we, we had this sort of symbiotic relationship and, and he helped me, you know, very much helped me grow my brand at whether, you know, as coach Kane or, you know, a city coach. And I like to think that I, I mean, it's funny. He gives me a lot of credit. I suspect sooner or later he was going to find that path with someone. Um, but I'm glad that I was there to fill that role. Um, so that was a very long winded way of saying, yeah, he's the one when I started grad school, met Christopher got to work with him. And that was sort of what really got me passionate and got me thinking, wow, working with athletes is something that I would love to do for the rest of my life. And I love that story. It, it kind of reminds me of like, you just found like this blue chip athlete, right? Like it's, it's, it's you know, it kind of like just fell in your lap. Um, and, and anyone is listening, it's not familiar with the runner community. So anytime you hear terms, I'm going to take the opportunity here to break it down. So when he says PR, he's talking about personal record. Um, and what is interesting about your story as well, I've heard a lot of running stories. I've been a part of the running community for over 10 years myself now. So when I hear someone that's that good, that didn't know what a PR was, that didn't know what the right, the race lingo, um, and it's just pure natural talent. Like that is, that is amazing to hear that. And, and, and just to see how that relationship um, just fostered between you two. Right. I think that, um, like you said, it, it, um, both of you guys benefited from the relationship, right. Um, In terms of helping you build your brand. And, and yeah, him as well um, in terms of just the, the extra knowledge and things like that. So with that being said, then now we transition to, you know, you be, becoming an author and being an author. So uh, I want to get into the Complete Idiot's Guide to, to Weight Training. Um, when, when you started that, you know, what was the motivation uh, behind that in, 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 in terms of um, what you were going to do with it? And then what was your goal? Sure. So that was that particular book and that that um, franchise of books, the whole complete, the, the idiot's guide is a little different than most books in that they come up with a, um, with a list of titles that they want. And then they put it out almost like an audition, you know, almost like you're, you're auditioning for a role in a play. So they say, Hey, we're writing a book on weight training and 20 or 30 people say, okay, I want to do that. And so we had to submit a, detailed outline, a sample chapter. Um, and, you know, luckily, and I teamed up with, um, it was actually my, my ex, who was a physical therapist and a, a world champion athlete. And we had a friend who passed away a few years ago, a guy by the name of Joe Glickman, who was a, uh, an elite endurance athlete, but also he was the professional writer of the group. And he's the one that sort of, you know, made us aware of this. And he's like, hey, guys, I can write you guys know this, this material, let's team up. So yeah, that's what we did. We, we, we then put together that proposal and yeah, we, we got the gig. Um, and it was good. You know, it's, it's far, I always say it's, it's far from a literary masterpiece. No one's ever going to read that and go, Oh, wow, this is just brilliant, but it's a good guide for beginners. It's what it is. Um, you know, and I always, I remember showing it to my, my grad school professor who's the smartest physiology mind I've ever met. Um, and I was so afraid he was going to rip it apart because I oversimplified a lot of stuff. 
And he was like, no, I'm really proud of you. You did a, a really nice job of making it approachable and understandable. And there's lots of beginners who need stuff like this. That's, you know, based in science, but isn't fancy. Um, so, yeah, you know, and the other thing was it opened a lot of doors for, for me professionally in that, yeah, it's not a literary masterpiece, but it's a well put together book. And when you say, you know, like you, in my bio, you mentioned, OK, I wrote for Traffic Magazine or New York Runner or whatever. And, you know, when you can say to someone, hey, I've written a book, can I write an article for you? They know at least I've got something. I've got some baseline level of ability. So it was a nice. You know, as, as silly as it is, you know, to say, oh, yeah, I wrote an idiot's guide. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we did it. And, um, and you know, the three of us, like I said, the professional author, the elite athlete and me, we made a nice team. We sort of come you know, the same way I said, Christopher and I complimented each other. The three authors, we sort of complimented each other and, and filled in the blanks. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice opportunity. That's good. And, and I like that the way you summed it up, because anytime I see these series of books, uh, I actually when I was in undergrad and, and prior to um, going to university myself, um, I always looked at that label like when it's like a complete idiot God. I'm not one of those people who's ever offended. I was like, oh, that means that I can read this. Right. So I was you know, you want to be as transparent as you can, because we can't you don't want anything that's too complex. And you're using a right. lot of terms and lingos that the you know, a common person is unfamiliar with because they're going to become disinterested. Right. Um, that's exactly it. And, you know, there's a, I'm sorry to cut you off, but, yeah, there, there's a comfort in that. And I, I had people I remember one guy said to me one time, he says, oh, I picked up your book. I said, I didn't even tell you I wrote a book. How did you know? He goes, oh, I didn't know it was yours, but I love that, that series. And I said, really? He goes, I know what it is. I know what it's going to It's like, you know what? You, you, the analogy I use sometimes is, you know, you're driving down in the middle of nowhere. And on one side of the road, you're hungry. On one side of the road, there's this diner. And, you know, it's like, oh, this could be really nice. Or I could get salmonella. Or I can go <laughs> next door to McDonald's. And it's not going to be great. But I know what it's going to look like. I know what the menu is going to be. I know what to expect there. And as long as I don't go in with high expectations, it's going to be fine. And that's what that franchise is. You know, those books are McDonald's. And I remember my editor, like the first chapter I submitted, she wrote back and said, don't ever start a sentence with studies show. And don't, she's like, just, just write it like you're just talking to a friend. And once I got past that and remembered I wasn't writing for my grad school professor, yeah, it was fine. That's good. That's amazing. And and again, I think stuff like that is always a, a great reference. I think they sell well, but not only in the fact of just selling it well, it's just relatable. Um, I think even when times when I start writing and I do my blogging, like I'm just thinking about a wider audience. Um, if there's a specific audience of people that I'd like to speak to, um, I do cater to that. But typically it, it's to it's to the public. So kudos to you for that. Now this is what, this is the part of the interview I want to get a lot of value out of um, because I okay. always get excited when um, when when people like yourself are here. So um, anyone listening to this, right? There's there's people out there. There's beginners. There's there's first time runners. Uh, I I think now we live in a time. I don't I don't know if how I can date this, how far back. Um, but I would say within the past ten years. I, this is the most I've seen most people being active and running at the same time. Um, with that being said, people are looking for more resources in terms of running. So what I'd like to ask you and start off uh, the question with is if someone's running for the first time and they come into you and they're like, coach, I need help. Uh, I barely ran. A, a brisk walk is the most. Where should I start? You know, I think 
the there's a couple of pretty common mistakes that I see when working with beginners. One is people try and, and and I mean, I know it sounds silly to say, but people try and get from point A to point Z without going, you know, without going to B next. And, and you know, by which I mean, they, they say, oh, well, you know what, Jay runs this much. I'm going to run, I'm going to do, and I want to be like Jay, so I'm going to run what he runs. Well, that's not going to work for a beginner. Um, and, you know, so you sort of rely on this, this sort of anecdotal evidence of, oh, this works for him, uh, it'll work for me. Or, um, you know, yeah, I want to look like him, so I'll do what he does, that kind of thing. And, you know, especially with running, with any new activity, but especially with running where there is that orthopedic stress that's involved, you need to be respectful of it. You need to work into it gradually. And that's why, you know, I always sort of bristle when you see all these, like, you know, couch to marathon programs. I'm thinking, don't worry about it get into a marathon, get from the couch to a 5k and then maybe do a 10k, then maybe do a half marathon, then maybe eventually to a marathon. But those couch to 5k things make sense. Couch to marathon, you end up either getting hurt along the way or you have a miserable time because you set these unrealistic expectations and you, you know, and you're in pain the whole time. And then you go back to the couch when you cross it off your bucket list. I'm much happier with someone who will be more methodical about it, will be more conservative about it, um, build up more gradually, but stays healthy and makes it part of their lifestyle. Not someone who goes couch to marathon, crosses it off their bucket list, and then goes to their next sport. Um, so I think, you know, to answer your question, one of the biggest mistakes is just trying to do too much too fast, and you're risking injury, you're risking disappointment. Um, and then the other thing that I see so many beginners do is they just try and build and build and build and build. And, you know, if Monday they're doing two miles, then Tuesday, they're going to do two and a half and Wednesday, they're going to do three and they're going to just keep going up um, as opposed to giving themselves some recovery time, as opposed to giving themselves the requisite time off, requisite easier days and easier weeks. So rather than things being either just the same every day or constantly building, I want to see folks go a little faster one day, a little easier the next, take a rest day, then go a little faster, that kind of thing. To have There'd be some logic to the flow there. Um, so yeah, those are typically, you know, when, when I was running, you know, I coached for Jackrabbit, like you mentioned in the bio for like 12, 13 years, and we would do beginner programs for them four times a year, 10 week programs. And the biggest complaint I would get, like early on, I would get all these emails from folks saying, can I do more than we're doing than, than we did? Like, no, I don't want you to do more. I want you to get to the start of that because I can't get you to the finish if I can't get you to the start. And if you get hurt, you're not getting to the start. So, yeah, take things in, in smaller chunks, be smart about it, be patient about it. And that's not easy for anyone. You know, you get excited about something, you want to do more. But, yeah, I, I try and get folks to, to see the bigger picture and, and approach running as something that they can stick with for, for a long time. And that's good. I like uh, I, I, I really like that approach. Uh, I had Dean Carnassus, who I'm pretty sure you you uh, aware of who sure. he is on my program during yeah, the not season. Yeah, yeah, so he said he's amazing, a, 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 a fine gentleman. So with that being said, I remember the story. He told me when he said, you know, on my 30th birthday, I just decided I was going to go out and run and I did 30 miles, right? And I t- I've gotten feedback from that episode and there's 
two mistakes, right, in terms of beginners that I get from people. Um, one was a little bit from that interview, and two, that movie, and I don't know if you've seen it, Brittany Runs a Marathon. Um, where hey, I, young, I know it. I didn't see she, it. Okay. The, I don't want to ruin it too, too much, but it's everything against what you just said. Like, she just decided right. one day, I'm going to do something about my weight. I'm going to run a marathon, and there's nothing in between. <laughs> there's just, right. it's so happening in a two-hour time span. Look, and again, Dean is an anomaly. It's like I met Dean actually when Christopher set his treadmill record. Dean was on the next treadmill. The two of them were both going for the record at the same time. And Dean yeah. ran 149 miles. Christopher ran 153. But it was real, and it was interesting to watch Dean's approach and his mental game. He was very impressive. Um, but yeah, look for every Dean Carnazzi who can go out and run 30 miles on his 30th birthday, or who can decide to do that. You know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are going to get broken really fast trying to, to emulate. So there's lots of things to learn from, from, from Dean, lots of things to emulate about Dean, but trying to go out and duplicate what he's doing is certainly going to be a recipe for disaster for, you know, 99.9% of the population. Exactly. And speaking to my beginners, um, just just a summary to what he, to, to what coach is saying, um, you know, again, I think our, our ambition and correct me if I'm wrong, but your ambition should be set for a 5K max. Right. I would assume that, you know, just go out, just run, make sure it feels good. Um, go at a go at a moderate pace, but don't be too aggressive uh, too soon, um, because I think that's where a lot of mistakes happen, and that's where a lot of injuries happen, right? And that and that's not what we want. Um, second question, as it still catering to you know runners that are just starting out, you know I know you're knowledgeable in the areas of kinesiology. Uh, with that being said, how important is form in terms of running, and and what are the proper you know what are the work, bad forms? Give me some examples, some bad forms and good forms in terms of running. You know, it, it's here's another wishy-washy answer. Yes, form is important, but no, I don't want to make everyone into the same exact runner. We are all built differently. We all have idiosyncrasies of tall runner, short runner, lanky runner. So I, I don't want everyone to run exactly the same. But there are certain things that um, that I, I think certain cues that any runner when they're getting started can be aware of. So um, one of the most common bugaboos is when you see a runner overstride, which is to say that their foot lands way out in front of their center of gravity rather than directly under them. Um, so, and, 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 you know, you think about it, you tell someone, Hey, go faster. Quite often the first reaction is, okay, I'm going to take a long loping stride and they're going to just sort of bound through the air and their foot's going to land way out in front of them. They're going to land really hard on their heel. There's going to be lots of impact. The foot's going to spend a lot of time on the ground rather than propelling them forward. Um, so I like to tell my runners to, to, to think about their foot landing under their center of gravity rather than out in front. Um, that will help both from a performance point of view and from an injury prevention point of view. Um, and other common, I don't want to call them faults, but, but certainly things to be aware of. You see runners who cross their midline with their hands. So suddenly that right hand they're twisting their torso a lot. Now suddenly the right hand is coming up towards the left shoulder and vice versa. And they're twisting a lot. Um, that's at the very least, it's resulting in a lot of wasted energy, right? We're trying to go straight ahead. If you're spending a lot of energy rotating, moving laterally, um, that's going to be counterproductive. And so now what happens when, when your arm goes across, now the leg is going to do the same thing. Now suddenly, instead of everything going straight ahead, you know, instead of your stride being three feet forward, it's, 33 inches forward is three inches laterally, that kind of thing. So that's another one that I like to, to have 
to use as a cue for my runners. Um, and then just in general, I, I want folks, you know, it's really easy to just sort of say, oh, I'm going to tune out. You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to turn on my music. I'm going to go for a run and I'm not going to pay any attention. And I want, look, if, run, if running to music helps, by all means, listen to music. But try to be aware of what's going on with your body. Try and do an occasional sort of physical inventory and like, okay, am I shrugging my shoulders up to my ears or are they down nice and low and relaxed? Are my elbows at about 90 degrees? Is, you know, are my hands nice and relaxed as opposed to clenching a fist? Am I clenching my jaw? That kind of thing. So those are all things that we talk to folks about. But if you, if you ask me like one particular thing, it's don't overstride. And I thank you for that. I love the gym. I think the gym that I got from that and listeners, I hope you, you caught it when you heard it. Um, cause I've seen runners do this as well is, um, the, the wasted energy portion, right? Like I think a lot of times when you're just flailing and doing things like that, um, you know, you're not really focusing on, like you said, the direct path forward. Um, so being conservative in that area is, is, is definitely, um, an asset. I would, I would say just in terms of, um, just doing the proper movement, right. And not, and, and not doing anything outside of that. Um, with that being said, so, all right, we got that covered pretty much, you know, start off in moderation, let's not waste energy. Um, now, in terms of rest and nutrition around running, what would you give anybody that's just starting out? Well, look, rest and recovery is important for anyone, whether it's an elite athlete who's trying to, you know, make the Olympic trials or whether it's a beginner. Um, it's just a matter of what that recovery and rest, you know, what, what, what represents recovery and rest. So for an elite athlete who's running 70, 80, 100 miles a week, that might mean a day off every two weeks. It might mean an easy run every Friday instead, you know, um, for a beginner, it's usually going to be running every other day. Um, like if the, the, that beginner program that I alluded to with Jackrabbit, yeah, we would, we would run three times a week. And when folks would say, can I do more? I'd say, I wish you wouldn't. Um, you need to give your body time to recover. And, and, you know, so, and look, as they progress, yeah, they and if they're going to become more accomplished runners and become faster, sure, they're going to have to do more. And they're going to have to do more than three days a week eventually. But starting off for a beginner every other day is usually just fine. You, you tend to get much better results with three than with two days a week. But those next incremental changes going up to four or five or whatever, the, the, the return on the investment becomes less and less. So for a beginner that every other day or three times a week sweet spot seems to work really well. That's good. Thank you. That's, that's a lot of good advice um, regarding that as well. And I know we brought this up <clears throat> earlier in the conversation and I'm trying, I'm looking out for you, my beginning runners that are listening to this podcast. So I'm extracting as much information as I can from coach um, so that you can apply it and then seek further um, information from it as, as well. Um, if you found this useful. So now let's say we get to a point where, you know, a beginner that they, they, they kind of find their stride, they got their own regimen that they're, they're following mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> from your recommendation. Uh, how far out, if, if they aspire to run a marathon, how far out should should that be? Should it be one year, two years, or a time frame is irrelevant? You know, again, it, it is certainly going to vary from runner to runner, but I think a year is a reasonable, if the goal is I want to get to the to the starting line healthy, I want to get to the finish line, not worrying about a particular time or anything, but just I want to start healthy and I want to finish. Um, Tony Ruiz from Central Park Track Club used to always say, finish with some dignity. Um, <laughs> but 
Um, but, you know, again, I think a year, if, if we're not going to stress over time, we're not going to worry about PRs can come later. If you want to keep with marathons, you can worry about PRs. First one, just get through that race, get to the start, get to the finish. I think a year is a reasonable time frame. You know, old school, like, you know, the real old school coaches would tell you you need longer than that. Um, I think that's probably overkill. Um, but I think when you start doing less than that, you you're risking you know, like, like I keep saying, you're risking getting injured in the process and not getting to the starting line. You know, and again, could you do it in nine or 10 months? Of, of course. But I think generally speaking, look, and let's be honest, you know, under normal circumstances, when we're not all locked down, you know, well, when does everyone make the resolution that they're going to run a marathon? They do it the day after they watch New York City Marathon. They go, okay, next year, I'm, I'm inspired. I watched them. I saw them coming up First Avenue. I watched them through Harlem. I watched That's when I'm going to do. I'm going to be that guy next year. Okay, good. You got a year. Get to work on it. Don't watch Boston and decide to run New York, you know, a few months later. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think like I think when I was coming up and the best advice I was getting as well, too, I, I always felt like the path with, for Boston, people aspire to that. Um, it's like, oh, do Chicago because Chicago's flat. And then, you know, you can go do Boston. I think we all have our own paths. Um, we just need to know our body. Right. And what works for us. Um, you said something and you actually just gave me a, a question because this is something that's also has been coming up in the running community. Um, this is unrelated to training, but I definitely want your feedback on it. We're, we are now um, in the COVID era, right? So like races as we once knew them before, unfortunately, um, are virtual, right? Uh, we don't know if we'll see a marathon in the capacity that we've seen in previous years. Um, what are you hearing within your community and where do you see it um, in the future? I would say within the next two years, do you think it'll go back to what it once was? I, I am cautiously optimistic. And again, I don't pretend to have any insight, but I, I think the, the calendar year, the, you know, 2021, I don't think races will be quote unquote normal. I mean, it looks like Boston today just released that they'll have a, a field of 20,000, which is a lot, but it's, you know, it's 20,000 in the fall as opposed to 30,000 in the spring, like they usually do. Um, so clearly they're sort of kicking the, you know, things down the road a little bit. Um, and New York has committed that there's going to be something, but that it won't be what we're used to. Um, and, and I think for the big races, I think that's a pretty safe expectation that it won't be normal this year. I think some smaller races um, may hit their previous capacities or, you know, even if they have to make some accommodations and, you know, break it up into waves and things like that. But I'm sort of cautiously optimistic now that I'm seeing folks getting vaccines and everything that by 2022, that racing may return to what we're used to seeing. Um, you know, what we were used to seeing. Um, but honestly, I mean, look, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, no one, you know, what we're a year, you know, a year and a couple of days into this. And, you know, I mean, I remember like, yeah, it, it was a year ago. We're all like, okay, well, you know, we'll lock down for a couple of weeks. We'll flatten the curve. Right. And then everyone will be okay. And it just, you know, it didn't happen effectively enough. And here we are a year later instead of a couple of weeks later. So who knows, but at least I have to hope that, you know, by, by next year, we're, we've got something resembling normal racing. 
Exactly. And I think I think at least from what I've witnessed from my friends in the running community, I mean, there's just some creative ways that people are continuously going out there and running. Right. Like I think that some people are participating in virtual races, um, getting medals mm-hmm. that way. Medal chases, as I like to call them as well. Um, you know, doing tr- speed intervals um, inside, whether it's indoor track or on treadmill and things like that. So if, if there's anything, if there's anyone listening to this that a little bit bummed in terms of the environment that they were familiar with. Um, there's still any, there's still multiple ways uh, to get out there and, and start running. Um, I have one more training question for you because uh, sure. I forgot to ask it earlier and I kind of want to throw it in now. Um, in terms of weight training and running, right? Do you, can, can one live without the other? Can it be cohesive or because I get, you know, I get different feedback uh, regarding that, some people that I know they run don't lift weights at all, and they're doing great. Some people do lift; they they kind of work that in. But um, what's your feedback and in, in your experience regarding that? Yeah, I, I think of of I, I treat strength training as you know mo- most people think. Okay, well, it's going to be performance enhancement. It's going to make me faster. I take it a, a different view on it, and, and I'm looking at it more from a point of view of injury prevention rather than directly enhancing performance. Um, now, I would also argue that, you know, if you miss fewer days due to injury, you're training more, more consistently, you're missing fewer days, you're going to, it will in fact be performance enhancing. Um, so I do think that it's a smart investment of time and energy for an endurance athlete. Um, as you said, there are, there are plenty of athletes, there are plenty of runners who are really good and really talented who don't do any strength training um, and they can get away with it. Um, but, you know, my concern is, again, not necessarily, okay, well, you know, like everyone tends to say, okay, well, I need my hamstrings, so let me do lots of hamstring work and I need quadricep work. I'm thinking not necessarily in terms of those prime movers that are that are causing you, that are propelling you forward. I'm thinking about the stabilizers. I'm thinking about um, you know, we talked before about not wasting motion laterally. Well, if your core isn't strong enough to hold you steady, you're going to be twisting around. If your hip abductors and adductors aren't strong enough, so now your leg, instead of tracking straight, you've got too much lateral movement, that's going to, to, to decrease your performance. So I'm thinking of it for those things, not necessarily the sort of glamour muscles, but more of the things to sort of keep you healthy. Um, but no, it would be foolish of me to say that every runner has to to strength train. There, there's some who can get away without it. But I think it's a it's a smart investment to to do some form of strength training for for endurance athletes. And in terms of um, endurance as well, and, and preservation of you know not only your body and muscle and things like that. Um, I know stretching is a big thing. It's spoken about a lot. Uh, too much? How like moderate? What's the right What's the right amount of stretching? What is your stance on stretching? <laughs> My stance is it's probably the value is probably overblown. Um, and certainly that old school, you know, like sort of high school gym class, touch your toes kind of thing. Um, you know, those types of things are probably of little or no value. Um, and I certainly don't want to see my runners doing static stretching before a run. Um, certainly not before a race. And there's actually pretty good evidence that doing that will, will, inhibit performance rather than enhance performance. Um, so, you know, typically what you want to see is some sort of a dynamic warm up where you're moving through a range of motion, getting some blood flowing. Um, you know, that type of stretching probably is, is of some value. 
um, and then maybe a little bit of static stretching afterwards. And yes, you need to be able to take your muscles through a range of motion, have some mobility, but you know, you, you don't need to spend a, an inordinate amount of time on it. And you certainly don't need to be doing it before a run where, as I said, if, if anything, it's in increasing your chance of getting injured and it's inhibiting your chance of performing at your best. Uh, I think that's that's really good advice, and it actually aligns with um, some of the people I spoke to as well. I think uh, what the uh, most consistent information I got regarding spe- uh, stretching is that, uh, in terms of running, uh, that is that runners often do spend too much time stretching, and I, I think that is consistent across the board, um, especially if my listeners, my my consistent listeners, have been listening to past um, previous episodes. Uh, so it's something to just keep in mind, guys. If you guys are out there, um, you don't have to spend ten minutes <laughs> before race stretching. It's, it's really not required. Um, I think trust your body, um, you know, definitely. And, and then trust your training as well. And, 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 you know, if you need any additional help, then go into that. Uh, you know, I got a lot of great information out of you, coach. I really, really appreciate that. And in, in terms of just uh, what you provided today, not only for beginners, but just runners in general. Um, and just talking a little bit about yourself, um, guys, if you haven't followed me on Instagram, we'll get the uh, information later. But what I what I love about you is not only your love for your family, but in terms of how your entire family, your immediate unit, being your wife and your son, Simon, um, are all fit. Uh, you had this article in Runner's World that I mentioned earlier in the intro in terms of he came up with this idea of he wanted to save the environment. And I thought that was amazing. And my question to you is, uh, especially with kids, right? I think right, we live in a day of culture. I remember when I was younger, I always wanted to go outside. I was very active with kids. Like they like to play games. And you really have to push them to go out and be active. How did you get your son so active into, you know, just being so active, working out and running and things like that? Right. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, don't get me wrong. Like he will, if I let him hang out and, you know, on my phone and playing games, he'll do it for hours at a time. So he's like every other kid in that respect. Um, but I think the two things that we've done, you know, is look, I've messed up a lot of stuff as, as a parent, but there, there are a couple of things that I think we've done right. One is we have modeled good behavior for him um, from the time he was born. Um, my wife was active during her pregnancy. As soon as he was born, he saw her active. He saw me active. So we're, we're certainly, you know, you were kind enough to use the, the phrase earlier, you know, walk the walk like that. That's yeah. I, I, I try and set a good example for him. So I'm not going to be the guy sitting on the couch watching the game, you know, eating a bag of chips saying, Oh, go be active kid. Um, and the other thing that I think we've done that was th- that I'm, I'm proud of is that we have sort of let him lead the way on a lot of these things. So rather than my saying, okay, you got to go out for the, you, 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 you got to go be on the soccer team or you have to go do this. You have to go do that. We have exposed him to a lot of things. Um, even to time sports, like when he was in pre-K, like we signed him up for a little tennis class and he did a few weeks of it. And he, his favorite thing to do was run after the ball. He wanted to be a ball boy. He didn't want to play tennis, but he now knows what it is. Um, we brought him to running races. We brought him, like we've exposed him to a lot of stuff, but we let him decide what he wants to do. Um, so year and a half ago, whatever it was, you know, he was on the playground one day and he saw some girl doing some crazy stuff on monkey bars. And he was like, Oh wow, someone can do stuff I can't do. Um, and we got to talking, my wife got to talking with, with the, the girl's mom and, Oh, she takes Ninja warrior classes. So then my kid says, I want to do that. And we did a 10 week class 
he did really well. He enjoyed it. Then suddenly they asked him to be on the team, but it was, it was his doing. Um, you know, in the past I had said, do you want to be on the soccer team? Do you want to play little league baseball? Nope, 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 nope. And part of me was like, no, I'm going to make him do this. But I realized that's not going to be a long-term and effective strategy. My wife is out. She's a, an accomplished rider. She's out and on her mountain bike all the time. The other day he said, Hey, mo- Hey mom, let's go for a ride. Next thing I know, they're riding down this crazy. And I'm, <laughs> I'm a much more risk averse parent. I'm a, I'm the, the, the one who's, and they're doing crazy stuff. Um, but it's him saying, let's go here. Him saying mom. And, you know, and he's literally leading the way he's riding in front. She's following him. And think about it. As parents, we spend all day telling our kid what they have to do, what they can't do. So he's getting an opportunity to sort of set his path. Same thing with that running streak. Yeah, he ran 115 days in a row until the lockdown. Um, It was his doing. I didn't say, hey, kid, you got to get in shape. Um, It was, dad, we drive too much. It's bad for the environment. We should run to school. So we ran to school. And the first day it was really rainy and nasty. I said, hey, Simon, it's rainy and nasty. What are we going to do? And he said, I'll never forget. He goes, we're going to get wet, Dad. Let's go. Um, If I had said, get your rain gear. We're going out there no matter what. He might have said, no, come on. This is ridiculous. Get in the car, Dad. But it was his doing. He was the driving force behind it. So I think that's the stuff that we've done right. And I think, you know, and a lot of times, like, he'll see my wife doing something. And he's like, oh, can I try that? So I think that's what we've done that, that hopefully has led him down into that path and, and that, that has made him so active and, and enjoying it so much. Yeah, and you've empowered him. Like, uh, I listened to, you know, what you said and, like, your response to him is like, you know, hey, Simon, what are we going to do? And, like, you allowed him, right? You didn't tell him, um, say, hey, it's raining out. We're not going out today, right? You, you, you empowered him by, by letting him make the decision, Right. To see if he was he was interested in, in doing that. So that's amazing. Um, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. This, uh, you know, we, we actually covered a lot. Um, and, and this is something you're someone that actually that, that I will reference and maybe down the line, too. I'd love to have you back. We could talk about some more running stuff, running trends. If, if, I'd really appreciate that. Um, this is the opportunity of the, um, this is the part of the show where I want to give you the opportunity to talk about any upcoming projects you have, whether it's a book or whether it's some training sessions. I know a lot of coaches are doing virtual, so I'm going to give you the floor. And then in addition to that, uh, you can share your socials uh, for people oh. to find you. Okay. So let's see. Most immediately back in May of 2020, um, Dr. Mark Cleon and I published um, a book called Triathlon Anatomy, actually the second edition of it, uh, published by Human Kinetics. So that's out and that's available. So for any triathletes who are looking for a little bit of structure in their training, uh, some strength training advice, that's hopefully a good resource. Um, We're also now uh, in the process of working on a book uh, tentatively called Outrunning Injuries, um, which will be discussing running injuries. Um, I'm co-author with a, a physical therapist, Emmy Aguillard from, uh, from Finish Line Physical Therapy. So she's taking the more clinical approach. I'm taking the more practical approach. And hopefully that'll be out sometime by late this year. Um, and that's, an, you know, so that, that's what's keeping me busy right now. <laughs> um, my wife and I last summer 
um, did a virtual, you know, a Zoom version of a, a, an introductory uh, triathlon class for some middle school students. She's a, a, a middle school and high school math teacher, as well as being an athlete. So um, we did that um, for the school where she teaches, but they also partnered with some community kids. Um, and it was really exciting and enlightening. And so I don't have anything concrete to say to you, except that, you know, hopefully next time we're talking, um, it, that's something that we're hoping to grow. I'm, I'm really, I, I found it really exciting to get kids interested and involved in the sport and the idea of, of addressing underserved communities, getting more kids of color into the sport, um, having more role models for them. Um, is something that my wife and I are both very passionate about and something that we're exploring now. Um, so I'm hoping that we can continue to grow that program beyond her school, bring it into other schools and do other things to, to get more kids involved in the sport of triathlon. Um, and in terms of, of training right now, I mean, yeah, things are still mostly virtual right now. I'm home with my son every day, so I can't be back out at the track, even if I'm, you know, even if I wanted to. Um, but I'm still doing a lot of online coaching um, and have started to take on a few new clients. So certainly folks can reach out to me if, if any runners or triathletes who are looking for a little bit of guidance and, and structure to their training. Hopefully I can uh, help them accomplish that. And yeah, that's where we are. Awesome. And in terms of social, um, yeah, I'm, I'm at Coach Payne, C-O-A-C-H-C-A-N-E on Instagram and Facebook. And it's uh, at Real Coach Kane on Twitter. Um, and yeah, and you can link, you can use, you can follow my son and my wife on Instagram as well. They're, they're linked on my Insta page and they're, 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 they're the more exciting followers anyway. No, yeah, definitely. Your whole entire family is, is, is amazing. And I love that everybody's out there and I'll definitely, yeah, I definitely want to have you back on. We'll, we'll revisit this. Um, We'll have a continuation of this conversation in the year's time, because I definitely want to just three things that you brought up in terms of just the uh, sports injury portion of it and the um the the efforts that you and your wife are doing um in the uh the communities of of color because I, I do remember for myself growing up um I didn't I grew up in the Bronx right so uh East Tremont section Washington project so like I didn't see anybody out running not not is in amount now that I see now, right? Like now I think there's about at least four or five different Bronx running groups. Um, and, and like you said, yeah, when you, when you do those habits, um, you know, again, it, it affects the younger generation. So I definitely want to have you back to promote that stuff and talk about it. We'll, we'll tee up again in a, in a year's time, but again, Thank you so much, Coach. I really, really appreciate it. And um, uh, everything will be up, guys, on the um, on the uh, website as well. Um, and again, you can always follow us at fithealthwell.com to on our latest information that we'll have. And you can also shoot us an email if you'd like to be on the show or you have some information at fithealthwell at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much, guys, for listening. I really, really appreciate it as we try to bring you new content each and every Friday that's going to be released. Thank you so much, guys. I'm Jay Dent. And thank again to our coach that decided to come in today and give us his time. I am grateful for it. And until then, I'll see you guys on the next episode.